Here we go. Neutron, proton, mass effect, lyrical oxidation, your irrelevant mass spectrograph, your electron volt, atomic energy erupting as I get all open on betatrons, gamma rays, thermal cracking, cyclotron, any and every mic you're on, transuranium, if y'all was uranium, molecule spontaneous combustion, bah. law of definite proportion, gaining weight, I'm every element around. This is Spark Science, and I'm Regina Barber de Graff. We recorded the following show with my first ever research advisor, Dr. Kristen Larson. I met her when I was 17 years old at Western Washington University, where we both now work. The other two guests are students from WW who also have worked with Dr. Kristen Larson. This show is basically a generational science group. Sadly, one of the students, Megan, had to leave for class soon into the recording, so you'll only be able to hear her insights in the first part of the show. This episode is a great one, but it also contains serious themes. We want to make sure our listeners know that there are mental health resources available to them. One is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255, available 24 hours a day, every day. Another is the Crisis Text Line, which you can text C-O-N-N-E-C-T, connect to 741741 from anywhere in the U.S., anytime, about any type of crisis. We at Spark Science recognize how difficult it can be to struggle with mental health, and we hope that these resources help those in need of them. Now, back to our show. I'm here with physics student Grace Eliason, president of the Women in Physics Club, Megan McGandy, and also fellow physics student, and my mentor and now colleague in the physics department, Dr. Kristen Larson. So welcome on our show. This is the first time you've been on the show, right? I'm very excited. Thank you. Yeah. Grace and Megan approached me and said, let's talk about what it's, what it's like to be a woman in physics and let's do it on May the 4th because of May the 4th be with you. Whip you. Whip you? Whip women in physics. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I don't get jokes. <laughs> I wanted to talk about, you had a question for us and it was, I think the first one was kind of like, how did you get into physics and what was that experience like? So before we like go into that, I want to ask you two, how did you get into physics? I went to, I was very lucky, I actually had a physics program at my high school um, and it went not only with regular physics but also honors physics and then AP physics. It was taught by our drama coach and so I had a very close relationship with the drama coach already and he convinced me to take physics, honors physics right out of chemistry. And we did, you know, an independent study of optics while on top of just doing basic physics principles. Wow. And then we also read Stephen Hawking's book on the side, uh, the Brief History of Time, and analyzed that. And then we actually did some college experiments, and it was just the greatest class. He got us all addicted to coffee. It was really fun. And as then, teenagers? As teenagers, okay. it was great, yeah. Um, and then I did AP Physics, and I don't know, I always found that I could use the math and enjoy the math through that and enjoy the concepts, so. Your physics professor, physics teacher in high school was also the drama teacher. He actually left to be, a, like, to go, like, get his master's in theater because I think he already had his master's in physics. Well, that totally opens the door up to the question that I have for Megan, too, because I know you really like art and, yeah. you know, photography, and so I want to hear your story, and does that have anything to do with art and getting into sciences? When I was in high school, I also had an AP physics class, and that's where I had first taken physics, um, but I came to Western because I wanted to do biochem, and I took my first chemistry class and was like, wow, I hate this, that's for sure, <laughs> and I remember being in high school and, like, nothing really, wrong with chemistry. Nothing just, wrong. I just don't like it. 
I think I remember in high school like really enjoying physics and it was my physics teacher who actually graduated from Western so you know he probably was taught by one of you. I just remember like feeling like really empowered in that class like I could achieve and do all these fun smart things um, and so that's what made me want to do um, physics here. I loved everything being kind of like universally symbolic right you can solve any problem really. I, I also wanted to become a like a photographer that was also my like backup dream like hey that would be really cool and um, I was really bummed that I couldn't do both here like getting a double major in art and physics I think would have been like too much to handle but right now I'm doing the minor the steam minor science yeah. technology engineering art Which and I've <laughs> it's been great though because sometimes the major can be really hard and then like I have a photography class right so where it's like another part of like one of the classes that I have to do means I need to go outside I need to go outside in nature I need to take some pictures so it's like a way for me to like force myself to relax. So I know I was talking to you too and you were interested because I was a student here and Dr. Larson was my professor. I'm who I am now because I have her to like bounce ideas off of and she was always very like you were always very supportive even if I was a little crazy as a as a teenager but how did you get into science? So I went to a, a small Catholic school uh, that was K through 8 and the 8th grade teacher was a biologist so she covered all the chapters in the 8th grade book that had anything even remotely to do with biology. She had some time to kill so she said why don't you read one of the other chapters? The kids could pick their own chapter, and then she would tear out the little test that came with the, with the textbooks. So the, the chapter I read was on, I think it was on mechanical advantage, like how a, how a lever works, basically, and why a ramp is easier than just lifting something straight up. And it said that, that a screw is just a ramp wrapped around a tiny pole. And my mind was blown. I thought that was the coolest thing I'd I've ever heard. heard in my entire life. And so I, you know, and I said, what's this? And somebody told me it's physics. And I said, oh, great, that's what I'm gonna do. So um, I went to high school where they taught physics to freshmen, which I actually think is how it should be done. I mean, look, biology is really hard. Chemistry is really hard and, and physics is more fundamental. And so, but it meant that it was physics with no math. I had a really cool teacher though. He also had us do like independent study things on mapping, I think it was where the moon is in the sky and then figuring out, basically doing a, like a coordinate change you could show that the moon's going around the earth and, and it was this kind of stuff, I loved it. The day that he talked about waves, we came in and there's sand everywhere and he's <laughs> playing the Beach Boys and wearing his Hawaiian shirt, like that's the kind of cool guy he was. So, so then I took biology and chemistry and uh, so then I went to college I actually declared myself too as a biochemistry major. I uh, took one chemistry class and said, no, not for me. And, uh, and I loved physics and I got into this physics for physics majors. It was brand new and I just heard about it through the grapevine and I took it and I got my butt kicked hardcore because everyone else had taken AP physics. And so I didn't really know what you know was going on. I had taken calculus in high school, thank goodness. I had to drive to a high school across town to find where it was offered, but I stayed and, and I liked it. Sometimes I wonder, what would have happened if someone had told me that what I was studying was mechanical engineering? But I don't think, my parents were both first generation college students and I don't think they would have known to say that. So I, uh, I wanted to stay over like people often do, stay in town for the break after my sophomore year and I started just going down the list alphabetically of physics professors and the first person, because I had not a single job skill to my name, right? And uh, the first person who went, yeah, a summer student, okay, happened to be an astronomer. 
I grew up here and I went to Western and, and I really liked astronomy. I would get astronomy magazines at home, you know, as a 16-year-old, like reading astronomy magazine. And I helped with the planetarium and then I met Dr. Larson here, Kristen. I wanted to do astronomy. I didn't want to do physics. I didn't even know what physics was. Like, I literally did not know what physics was. I, I took um, physics at community college because I did Running Start. Here in Washington, um, you can do, you know, your last two years of high school um, at community college and it's paid for. I didn't have AP physics at, um, at our school either, and I didn't really, I will say this, I didn't really like physics. I liked astronomy, but I knew that there was no astronomy major here, so you had to do physics. So I just was like, I'll just do this. And after many years of brainwashing, I started to like physics. <laughs> I like it a lot now, but at the time it was, I mean, it was hard for me. When you said that you liked the symbolism, you liked that you could do this all symbolically, and it doesn't matter what numbers it is, you can change the numbers, but it's gonna be like the same setup. The setup was really hard for me. It was really, really a new way of thinking. It was a new way of problem solving. And I was, I was a good student in Linden because I, could, I was good at memorizing. You know, I was good at inputting um, information, having it stay there for two weeks, and then it leaving. And uh, it really kicked my butt my first quarter here. I did not great. And it took me a very long time to get my mind to actually problem solve, to actually ask why instead of just tell me the answer. If you don't mind me asking, yeah. both of you, what, what was your path after? You got your BSs and then you know master's, PhD. What exactly was the path? Yeah, so after college, um, I stayed there and worked one more year at the university, uh, partly because I had not been accepted into graduate school, uh, but I wasn't really ready either. I, I made that classic mistake of asking the professors I really liked for letters of recommendation. Like my freshman, when I finally started passing the classes on my own and fi getting it figured out, I really liked that professor. Of course, he didn't really remember me. And then I, I, in my senior year, I started doing research work, and so I had better letters, and, and I was smarter about where I applied. But anyway, I pretty much after that one year went right to graduate school, and I, I stayed in graduate school through the Ph.D., and in fact, when Gina first met me in 98, I did not have my PhD yet. I had just gotten married, and my husband got a faculty job uh, here at Western. And so I came along in the attic of our house down in Happy Valley. I finished writing my PhD thesis. I started, at, you know, I had an office and a computer that they, that they gave me here, and mm -hmm. I would wear like these little suits, so yep. I looked like a professor. You know, I would I also really... wear ties. Yeah, we, we were trying to look the part, I think. Yeah. And I'm sure at the time Gina thought I was this old lady, but I was no. like, I look back on it now, and I was like incredibly young. I didn't, old. I didn't know what I was. 27 years old. And, 27. Yeah, so I finished, and uh, and I defended my thesis in February of 1999, and came right back. Mm -hmm. And in April, I started teaching cosmology for the physics department. I didn't realize it at the time, but that's a pretty non-traditional career path because I didn't have work in industry and I didn't have a postdoc. And a lot of people do, you know, the master's degree at one institution, PhD in another, and I, I just sort of sped through. And I remember talking to, to Kristen when I was younger and she was saying, like, you don't need a postdoc, you know, like, because you, you didn't at the time. And this, you know, a postdoc for our listeners and, and our viewers is this job that you basically get after you finish your PhD and you're, you're, you're paid a little bit more than a grad student but less than a professor. And it's still kind of this limbo time where you're still just doing research but you're a little bit more on your own than you would be if you're a grad student. And I never did that and um, because for my, my path was that after I 
I left here at Western. Again, I was professors that I thought I liked and liked me. I would ask them, and one of them said, like, why are you going to grad school? And I said, well, because that's what you're supposed to do, right? And that was my answer. And I didn't really, I was kind of burnt out towards the end, and I wasn't the greatest student. But I went to San Diego State, and I went to a master's program. And you were saying some, a lot of people do master's in one place and PhD, but actually now it's all like you just go to grad school and you don't really do it at two different places. I got a terminal master's, which is a master's. There's no further path at that um, institution. There's no PhD. They in don't it. let you just stay. Right, you can't. PhD yeah, path. you have. It's more of people who are in industry. But I wasn't in industry. I just got a master's because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, and it helped me build my confidence and my skills in physics, and kind of, like I said, get in that mind frame of actually problem solving that I wasn't really confident in here at Western. And then I got my PhD. My advisor moved away my first two years. Uh, so uh, my first two years in grad school, he moved jobs. So I had to move. And I finished my PhD remotely, not at an institution, but basically in my bedroom on my computer. And I had to get another job because funding ran out. So I taught, taught at a high school. And I taught freshman physics at a private school and taught at Bellevue Community College. Some of that was actually some overlap. Yeah, it was, it was hard. And then I had no confidence to get a, uh, a postdoc. I was just like, I just need to get a job. So worked at Bellevue, and then I'm here now at Western, but I'm still this, um, I'm a different kind of professor because I didn't do a postdoc and because I don't do research. Gina and I um, were somewhat, can I say, constrained by our family situations? Yeah. I mean, in the sense, I mean, constrained in a good way, can I say that? But, yeah. um, you know, I, I wasn't really willing to pick up and move my husband you know, and, and I, a lot of people will do the early phases of their career separated from their spouse right. uh, or partner. And, and I, uh, I just wasn't willing to do that. And so I think in previous generations, a lot of women's careers were pieced together around their husband's careers. That's less true now. Um, but for me, uh, my choices, I made other choices in my life that constrained my professional choices. Mm -hmm. And I, I, would, I would add to that, when my advisor left and he went to Victoria, so this is in Canada, um, my husband's a lawyer, so he can't just like practice law in another country. So I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't be like, sure, I'll go to Victoria now too. So we kind of had to do this, what do I, compromise in Seattle where my husband found a job and then I could travel to Victoria on a regular basis. But I also, I, I my husband's very willing if I got a job in Victoria or got a job in like China or got a job in New Jersey, he would follow. He's always said that. I'll follow you wherever you want to go. But do I want to... Mine, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> but I, do I want to do that to him, right? Yeah. And like, yeah. would I even be happy in New Jersey or in the middle of China or, or um, in Victoria? I don't yeah. think I would be. To say we are constrained, for me, um, it's, more, it's more nuanced, right? Like, I'm, I put my, my happiness over my career. And um, a lot of people say that their career does make them happy. But I don't want to live separately from my, my husband. And now that we have a kid, I don't want to move somewhere where she's not going to be happy. Did you get married and whatnot, like during your PhDs, or because you said you did? Yeah, I did. Um, we met in graduate school. Okay. I think the average age for marrying in the U.S. is like 28, 26, 27, something like that. And I think which it's is, more high. It's like 28. Which is 29. right smack in the middle of graduate school. So yeah. the only people you know are other graduate students. Oh no. And uh, so some huge fraction of women with a PhD in physics are married to someone who has a PhD as well, and a huge fraction of those have a PhD in physics. Mm -hmm. So my husband has a PhD in engineering, 
And so I think a lot of women end up in that situation where, and like a lot of women are a couple years younger than their husbands, right? Mm -hmm. So my husband's always been a little ahead of me with the career, you know, so he's Applying always- Applying to jobs and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, so he's, you know, making a little bit more money than me and, mm -hmm. and all these kinds of things, which makes it a little, which makes it more difficult, at least in the beginning for me to go, hey, you know, let's pick up and now go follow just my job, my careers and things like that. So I know people who do all kinds of things. I know folks who got married as undergrads and had their kids in graduate school and, you know, by the time they got a faculty position, their kids were in high school. And mm -hmm. then I know lots of folks mm -hmm. who uh, got married and had kids after they got tenure. So they're right. up against their fertility clock at the right. other end, you know. And, and, um. and so a lot of people, people make the choices that are best for them. I think we're going to take a break soon because my story is quite long. We're going to take a break and when we come back I'll tell you about my family situation but I also want to talk, I want to bring us back to, we're all talking about our physics teachers and you all, they're all dudes, right? So let's, let's talk about when was the first time you actually had that female um, professor and what was that like? Um, so we're going to talk about that when we come back from our break. Welcome back to Spark Science, where we're talking about women in physics, and I'm here with my women in physics colleagues here at Western Washington University, Grace Eliason and Dr. Kristen Larson. And we stopped our conversation before the break talking about what were our stories of, you know, our family lives as we're getting into physics and what, you know, how does that affect our career? And I said that mine was kind of long, so I'm going to try to be as quick as possible because I think I've actually said this on previous shows. My husband and I met in high school and I was 14 and he was 17. The first time I ever saw him, uh, I was walking to band with my friend Nate and we were alto sax players and he, this kid came out of nowhere and shoved my friend Nate into a closed locker. And I was like, why does Benji hate you? Cause, and they were like, and my friend goes, that's not Benji, which Benji was a kid that in our grade looks exactly like Jake. Um, and he's like, that's Jacob DeGraff. He's my friend. And I'm like, mm. and so that's the first day of, First day of high school, that's what happened. He's very nice, he's a very nice man. <laughs> and uh, he went to Western, I went to Western. We got married a week after I graduated. We're still together. This November will be 23 years. He is not a science major. And he was actually made fun of by other physics majors that he wasn't a science major, constantly. And he is a nice enough, quiet enough man that at least he pretended it didn't bother him. <laughs> I see a lot of people in our fields, and like you said, who are in the sciences and they try to get dual hires and it's really difficult. So we were talking about representation and we want to talk about like the, I, I think if we talk about family, it does affect women I think more than, than men because of our society, but it still does affect men. But what were our, like what were our role models going into physics? You had two male teachers. Where, when was the first time you had a female professor dealing with physics or dealing with the sciences? Yes, mm -hmm. physics 161, 162, and 163. And it was like the best class. And it's so funny because 161 and 162, it's like it's a, like it's a large classroom. So let's tell our uh, listeners, you're, yeah, talking sorry. About, you're talking about physics first year with calculus here at Western. Every year it's about, I want to I don't want to say 100, but I, I 70. would 70 people in a classroom and it's uh -huh. kind of overwhelming and I really did want to be a physics major and I'd kind of been introduced to the topics before, but I was having an issue because 
it just didn't feel super pers personable and personalized because there were so many people. But in 163, you had like the greatest demonstrations. You made everyone feel like they were part of something bigger and they were part of this. And I, my favorite day in that class is when you came in and it was actually really tragic because someone had just like attempted to um, commit suicide like in the building itself and you spoke about mental health. Even as a young person in college feeling like, you know, a small fish in a big pond, I felt like you were directly talking to every individual in that room. It was so touching and it was so beautiful. And I, the first thing I thought was like, I have to do research with her. I don't care what she does. And then I went to you and you were like, oh yeah, I do stars. And I'm like, cool, I'm into stars now. Sounds good. Stars <laughs> now. I'm into it. And it was, it was just so, and I don't know if it was because, you know, you're a woman or because whatever, but it was just so, so emotional and so inspirational. And I just can't even believe like mm -hmm. that I'm so lucky to get to research with you and that our department is just so open and so like loving and so full of women. We have about, what, one third female staff? Yeah. Along that, what was it like when you were the only female staff? Well, there's a lot of things, gosh, oh. are coming to mind. Thank you very much for that, Grace. I'm teaching that class right now, and, I, oh. and I'm not sure I'm doing half as good a job as you just described. Oh, I actually do remember that day vividly. It took me a long time in my career to be able to speak honestly about things that were close to my heart in the class. I felt that I had to be more masculine than masculine in many ways. It just took me a long time. I, I said something once to a student. I said, well, I don't, I don't want to interject myself into the class. And the person said, you interject yourself into the class every day. Yeah. You know, and so it's taken me a long time to, to say things like that in class. And I remember that day. Um, and I got to college in 1989. One of the reasons why we didn't see a lot of women is because through maybe, I don't know, the 60s, some universities wouldn't hire a married couple into the, they, they weren't allowed, there were nepotism rules that they couldn't hire them into the same department. So there are Nobel Prize winners who could not get a job. One of them came to UCSD, which was a brand new university at that time in the 60s or whenever. Mayor Hall, they, uh, Maria Gephardt Mayer, they hired her because the University of Chicago wouldn't. But even then, they hired one of them in the chemistry department and one in the physics department just so they would be allowed to do that. So mm. if you fast forward now, Western has a policy for dual career couples. Really? Yeah, it's written. There's like forms, you know, the whole thing about trying to do what we can, which is not a lot, but do what we can to accommodate that. So that's all happened in one generation, mm -hmm. right? I mean, a lot of a lot of women, you know, from, you know, the 30s and 40s had unpaid volunteer positions. The first woman professor, it might be the one who gave me that summer job. Her name is Barbara Jones. She was an astronomer. I was very, very fortunate as a senior. I got to take a class from Sally Ride, who is very, yeah, it was super awesome. It was plasma physics, which I love because, frankly, she could have taught the physics of cardboard boxes, and right. I would have loved it. Sally Ride, the first American woman in space. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> just for our listeners, <laughs> phenomenal teacher. Really? Phenomenal really? teacher, yeah, of course really, she is. really good. She's an astronaut. They all, they can do anything. It's like yeah. When, when I have Melissa Rice, I'm like, oh my god, you're a good teacher too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Melissa That's Rice, crazy. the Steve Martin of Spark Science. She's been on a lot of shows. <laughs> That's Marcel. <laughs> and so for the whole class, we, you know, she was Professor Ride until the very last day of lecture, and she brought in her home movies from the shuttle. Oh, <gasps> I know, I know. It was super good. It was it was awesome. And she's like, I know you like my class. Yeah, I know. <laughs> This so fangirling, yeah. Freak out. So it it was really. I mean, I I I guess I didn't have that many female professors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't have any in graduate school either. But, but 
there were enough yeah. that I had people that I could look up to. Yeah. So for me, I mean, there was an actual a good amount of science teachers in Linden who were female. For, for me, growing up in Linden, I felt there was way more racism than there was sexism. And I, I mean, I, I was basically, I, I didn't ever feel like I was a woman because I wasn't white. And like, that was like very clear. If you're a, if you're a woman, you have to be white. I remember up, up until this day, I have workshops where I'm like, there are like women in science workshops and they're like, write down things about yourself. And I almost never write down woman because I never think about that. Because it was always in my mind associated with the race. Growing up, I haven't had one woman of color be my professor, except for a language class, Chinese professor. And even then, she tag teamed with a white woman who was teaching Chinese. So, like, I've never had one. Mm-hmm. And I've actually never had a professor who was a person of color except for a summer language course where it was a Hispanic male. He tag-teamed with his uh, white female white. wife. And so, like, um, I, I, I will take that back. I, there was an Indian um, from India professor when you were here, Ajit Rupal. For me, being a woman in physics, I never thought of it as much as I do th- as a person of color in physics. It just hits me a lot harder, I mm-hmm. think. But in my old age, I start to realize things that had happened to me that were sexist and were because I was a woman, but I just never saw it because there was that other looming identity that was hitting me so hard. I don't know if you've experienced that too for the other identities you all have or if you've heard of that before, if you've seen it in our fields. We're so lucky. We're little baby children. We have like hardly any problems. You know, you... We go into the study and we feel like, you know, we're at home. And if someone doesn't feel like they're at home, like, we are bothered by that. And we don't like that because we're a really tight-knit community. You're talking about the physics study here at Western. Yes, the physics study here at, I should be more specific. The physics study here at Western, um, I don't know if it's just our class or whatever it is. It just feels like you have the support and you have the ability to collaborate and you have the the ability to do it Mm -hmm. without hesitation and without fear right and i don't know if that's because of the you know the creation of the women in physics club about like six years ago i don't know if it's because we have you know professors of color female professors just yeah what was it like when you know i guess before there was a women in physics club well there was a physics club i was the president (laughs) (laughs) of of it my senior year um again like I was so, I think I was so naive, too. I I think that, um, again, I came from this town that was very, very hard, and uh, I had to deal with kind of that stuff. And because it wasn't that bad at Bellingham, there were things that I just let wash over me, so I didn't, like, let a lot of things stick. And as Kristen knows, I was a very, very cocky, like, conceited kid. So anything that was, like, being thrown at me, I kind of tried to deflect it. Um, I will say that there was you know, there was a lot of male chauvinistic things happening when I was younger, but I think um, it's still there, you know? I don't really? think it's really changed uh, that much from when I was a student um, because in physics, men, uh, I shouldn't say men, a lot of us are just like kind of introverted nerds, you know? So um, I think that there is a lot of that male chauvinist stuff, but you also have that other other identity kind of stereotype or personality of kind of quiet introvertedness. So it, it was it was all very complicated, but I, I, I don't know. I don't 
Have you noticed any changes? I, not really. Really? <laughs> but, I don't know. With, with the sexism, not for me, but I will let Kristen say. Yeah. This is very interesting. Yeah, um, I've been here. I think, you know, one of the things that, that Jean and I have in common, because, as I mentioned, I'm not that much older than her, because I was yeah. pretty young when I got I to know, Western, you're too. you're not old. Neither of you are old. But, but I think we both... Um, put up a lot of defenses against whatever kind of vibe we might be getting that we didn't belong. And um, I know that I think probably Jean and I have both been called aggressive, you know, over at some point in our career. But it, it was a way to um, just not let those kinds of messages in, right? right. Deflect. It was just about deflecting. And, and yeah. so, um, one of the things I, I do want to say is that I, I was very isolated coming up through my career. Yeah. And sometimes it was because I was the only woman. And sometimes it's because the guys didn't want to study with me. And, and I'm not really sure how much of that was my fault and how much of them was, how much of it was them. And, and, um, but I got used to it. I got used to um, not having a place I could call home, not feeling that I could collaborate. Um, I learned the body language of men. Mm -hmm. I learned, I learned how to cuss. I mean, I learned how to sit, you know, and take up a lot of space. Mm -hmm. And um, it's only now, sort of 20 years in, that I see that that was not terribly healthy for me. So I have seen changes over the last 20 years, um, just in the sense that I I was the only woman on the faculty, and I was also younger than everyone else. And um, some of the things that happened to me would not happen today, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I had a faculty member walk past my office and come back and put his head in the door and go, oh, Kristen, smile. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and I, uh, you know, so I was in charge of being cheerful right. for, for, for the guys. Because that's your duty. Because that's my job. And, uh, yeah. and I, think that, I think that some things have changed, and I think that, in, in a department now where there's a lot of women, and in fact, I spoke to one of our newer faculty members who said that she came to Western because there were women in the physics department. Mm -hmm. And how quickly that has, I mean, that's within right. my career that right. has changed. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I think. Yeah, I guess I'll clarify that. I, I was thinking of the students. I was thinking of the mm. student body and like what it was like to be a student. And that's what I mean, but it didn't change. But yeah, I agree with you. But faculty. I think that there are ways that people are encouraged to ask for help and support. Mm -hmm. That Definitely. I don't remember that being even an option. And I remember it being, if the times I did ask for help, it was embarrassing for me and the person I asked for help. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, oh my, we don't do that here. You know, mm -hmm. and I think that um, whether it's faculty members who sometimes we want to talk to another woman, you know, about, I don't know, stuff, yeah. right? That there are people there that the students feel, and this is only recently, I think, that the students feel they can come and talk to me because I really put up quite a wall between yeah. me and the students for a long time. So I think that what has changed is that there is a sense that we can and should ask for help, that this is a cooperative endeavor that we're on. What I think hasn't changed is that the way we talk about our science and the way we do our science and the way we sort of go day to day, hour to hour, has, is very masculine and we get kind of a sink or swim, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. strategy that at its worst, we actually push on other people. Like, mm -hmm. you know, hey, 
you can't take the heat, get out of the physics kitchen yeah. kind of thing. And I don't, I don't, I don't think we should do that. Yeah. You know, I think, and I, I think there's hope right. that there's change possible. Yeah, I'm, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I kind of want to explore that more and who, who is attracted to physics and what is that personality and what is that stereotype and what are we doing to kind of break that stereotype. Spark Science, where we're talking about women in physics with my fellow women in physics here at Western, physics students Grace Eliason and Dr. Kristen Larson. We actually lost our other physics student, uh, Megan McAndy. She had to go to class. We are recording on campus here. But we wanted to talk about, we kind of got into this idea of the uh, physics stereotype and what hasn't changed and what has changed. And, and in my mind, I kind of viewed that as like the stereotypical physics student hadn't really changed. But I agree that our, our kind of environment and the climate has changed. But I kind of want to go into that idea of who's attracted to physics and who isn't. And in your opinion, I'll, I'll actually ask Grace first, what, do you see that there's this kind of like stereotypical physics student at Western? And, and like what is, you know, what is that? And, how have you experienced that? I really haven't. We have all types of people. We have people who are, you know, I actually came from marine biology and then I switched over to physics and I'm also a German double major. You know, we have other people in languages. We have people who, you know, are in volleyball club and all this, all these different ranges of interest. And I think that what I expected was white men who would be very introverted, not want to work with you, not want to work with anyone kind of sit at home and like leave school immediately and just do all the work on their own. But what I'm experiencing is that, you know, we're there every night together, you know, until 10 p.m. just working on problems because we enjoy it. And obviously because it's homework, but be, <laughs> we actually enjoy each other's company and we find that collaboration is the best way to succeed in this major and I think just in the future. Mm -hmm. There are still some outliers that are that exact, you know, like a white man who is very introverted and likes to stay at home and stay away from the group. But that's yeah. what I've experienced. Yeah, it's interesting. I, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, I think I internalized a lot of the stereotypes, and I became the stereotype. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's often hard for me to separate out um, what's a stereotype from what's just my, you know, my personality. Mm -hmm. uh, I think one of the things that I, I have noticed is that we still make it very hard for people who um, don't have confidence in their own abilities. We demand that at least people fake it, mm -hmm. and I think that that can be that can be really hard mm -hmm. for some people. You know, we um, I, I sort of think of it as the you know yeah well obviously you know <laughs> attitude, and and we we tend to make it difficult for people who can't do that to succeed um, in in the discipline. So I I see I see some of that still. Yeah, but I think that in terms of um, you know, hobbies, outlook, goals. I'm seeing much more uh, of a range mm -hmm. of people coming in. Yeah. Than, than when I was in college. Yeah, and there's a lot more students too. I mean, well, that's the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> so when when Gina was a student, you know, we would have some graduating years of you know five, four. six students. Four. Oh, wow. Yeah. We so. were we were the biggest class, and we were twelve. 
Yeah. And um, and and I think we were talking during the break about um, kind of the students now. You were saying are so open and everyone's so right. open friendly, and we were too. You know, right. like, um, but I was kind of a very forceful, like, we're all going to study and we're all going to work together. And that's you. And I think that um, it varies from year to year. When you have somebody who's kind of a ringleader and kind of uh, somebody who's like, we're all going to do this and it's going to be great and we're going to be open, we're going to talk about these things, um, it's a really good year. And But it's not always that way, you mm -hmm. know. And, and um, you kind of need a couple people to be, um, to help the other students let them feel like it's okay. It's okay to be honest. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to work together. Um, because if they're not getting that from the other students, like Kristen was saying, there is this outer kind of pressure from academia that is like sink or swim. Yeah. So it's, it's, so I, th I think that has gotten better over the years, but it definitely has not gotten to the point where I want it to be. Where do you want it to be? What do you hope for in the future? Like all oh, the little yeah. future student, physics students running around. Yeah, I mean, I I think that there, my, my goal is to like dismantle the scientist stereotype. Like that's my goal. And I think that I also had that stereotype going into it. Like you said, you like went into it and you were expecting these people. Um, I want it to be a, a time where the students that are going into the physics major aren't expecting that. Like you were expecting it and then it didn't happen, which is great, but I think it didn't happen because of a lot of a work, a lot of work that you cool. did. Yeah. Right. And a lot of work that other people are doing. Um, but I think that in the, that needs to continue. Yeah. And I, I want to be able for us as physics majors and physics professors to go outside of our department and talk to somebody in biology or talk to somebody in English yeah. and have them not have that notion in their head mm -hmm. and have them not expect this, you know, white male who doesn't talk to people when we say a physics professor is going to come to their door. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think. I think that stereotype is very pervasive still. My ideal would be that people, people come to physics because they want to work collaboratively on hard problems. So I think we still talk about these things like, well, I'm in physics, but I, I do have social skills, or I'm in <laughs> physics and I am interested. In spite of that. In spite of that, right. Yeah. And, and I felt, um, I, you know, I do that all the time. I'm always sort of backpedaling. You know, if I'm at a party, I'm hesitant to say what, I do for a living because people like recoil in horror sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, what if instead of we would say, well, people can be a physics major and an artist, in those two things in parallel, mm -hmm. what if people said, I want to be a physicist and an artist and those two things are fully integrated for me, not just two facets of the same person, but that are, yeah, right? That are, you know, <laughs> that it's more of a dot product of those two. Kate, we, but I, I agree, and, and I used to say this, I think I used to say this to you when I was a, a grad student, that, you know, you would say, well, I'm studying physics, like, at a party or something, and it would just, the person would just be like, Broom, and just, like, they would just shut down. Yeah. Like, they wouldn't know what to say to you next if they found out that you studied physics. And that doesn't happen to me as much anymore because I don't tell them until I've known them for like, <laughs> like at the gym, I, you know, I do kickboxing with people and they didn't know for like a year what I did. Yeah. And then once they found out I taught physics in, at Western, they like could still talk to me because they'd been talking to me for a year, but they definitely instantly became intimidated. And that's, that's the issue is I don't want, mm. if, if I'm intimidating, <laughs> then, then the physics like, field, you know, our whole career, you know, academia is intimidating. And I, I want to take that away. Like, how do we do that? Like, that's my goal. Mm -hmm. And that's what we try to do with this show.
Yeah, when when you you see in in you know magazine articles or the newspaper, you know scientists say that blah 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 blah, or, yeah. or the even worse, scientists believe that blah blah blah. Yeah. These are human beings, and they're doing experiments to try and test models. When we s paint them as as sort of this monolithic truth generator, mm -hmm. uh, you know, then we don't we neglect a lot of the truth about how physicists work, who physicists are, you know, what our lives are like. So how have you been able to kind of create the safe space for yourselves throughout physics? How have you been able to be women in physics and be confident about that? It, it, I, I will answer that. I think Kristen's right. I think um, we have to kind of step away that you need that confidence, but the problem is you kind of do. And I came in with that confidence, right? Okay. And it's been like chipped away at. The only reason I kind of have succeeded this far, I think, with all the barriers is because I was so confident and almost, uh, what do I, without any foundation, like so, like, <laughs> like <laughs> for no reason was confident. I, I think the only thing that's keeping me afloat is surrounding myself with people who also kind of believe in that confidence. So it's, it's a support system. It's me initially being very, very conceited and then having friends that kind of help me with that. <laughs> as I go on in my career. And if I don't have that support system, then I would be, I'd be out. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked for external validation for a long time in my career. Not only did I never get enough external validation to make me trust myself, that's not possible. It's not possible for there to be enough external sources convincing me that I belong. That had to come from within. And, and this is something that took me 20 years to figure out. Wow. And, and part of that meant taking care of myself, listening to myself, figuring out what was right for me, what I believe, what my own ideals are, and building up a community outside of physics. The older I get, the more important I think that is, actually. We were talking during the break a little bit about advice, you know, and, yeah. and the advice I would give people is to, is to find those things that we are also passionate about outside of physics. I was a women's studies minor. I think that was really important for me to read and to write and to do the kinds of things that I wasn't doing in my physics classes. Megan was talking about photography and going outside and having this this very other side of her of herself. You know, that helps us build community. It helps us build a sense of a foundational sense of self that whether or not we choose to express as bravado, we actually are centered in who we are and we value who we are. But it takes a long time to yes, figure out who you are. I mean, I am a lot more sure of who I am in these last three years right. doing this show. It, it just takes a long time. And right. you don't, you don't want to totally rely on that external support. But I think when you're young, you kind of have to. You don't have your sense of self yet, you know, in, as an undergrad. That would be my advice. I would totally agree with Kristen. There's so much self-care that you need. It's really? so easy to run yourself ragged. And especially if you're passionate about something, like if you really, really want to become a scientist and you really love it, and or you really like women in physics and you really want women in physics, the club, to be successful, so you put a lot of your energy into it. It's so easy to get burnt out and to not take a breath and say, you know what, today I shouldn't do any homework and I shouldn't do any women in physics stuff. I should just watch TV with my friends or go lay on the lawn or read a book or something. Mm -hmm. That's why I like, you know, we, we had um, my kickboxing coach on here and I like, I like going there because it's a whole bunch of people that don't work at Western. There's a whole bunch of people that aren't scientists and they're very good at what they do. I think as scientists and academics, we kind of forget that there's a whole world out there. Absolutely. It's not about a hierarchy of what is more worthy to be passionate about mm -hmm. and what kind of jobs are worth doing well. 
they're all worth doing well and developing a healthy respect for that. <laughs> well, and we don't show it enough, model this enough, and we should. Yeah. We should be more open about the ways in which we take care of ourselves and take care of each other. I, I think so too. And, and I think that in a way it actually does help our mission. If we go out and we socialize and we integrate <laughs> ourselves into the wider community and have more friends, we're actu actually dismantling the scientist stereotype because we're scientists and they, they know we're scientists, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, there was an article that I had just seen and it was um, stock photos of scientists and how ridiculous they are. Mm. And there was an astronomy one and it was a guy next to a telescope and he had a lab coat on and lab goggles and he was pointing to the sky. <laughs> and I hope for whoever's editing this video that they can find that image because it said like, yeah, I'm an astronomer and I'm gonna, that's, that's space, that's where I do um, science and I'm wearing a lab coat and I have goggles to look through this telescope. It was just the most ridiculous thing. But if that's a stock photo, like that's what we're seen as, right? That's, yeah. Yeah. that's what people outside of our fields think when they think scientists. So I, I wanna thank you both for talking to me and sharing stories. I'd like to thank the club for yeah. reaching out yeah. to make this happen. These are great conversations to have and we should have them more often. This has been Spark Science. Our show was recorded in the Digital Media Center at Western Washington University in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you for listening and watching. Lead, gold, tin, iron, platinum, zinc. When I rap, you think iodine, nitrate, activate. Red uranium, the only difference is I transmit sound. Balance with some balance, then you add a little talent in. Careful, careful with those ingredients. They can explode and blow up if you drop them and they hit the ground. Thanks for listening to Spark Science. If you missed any of the show, go to our website, sparksciencenow.com. If there's a science idea you're curious about, send us a message on Twitter or Facebook at Spark Science Now. Spark Science is produced in collaboration with KMRE Spark Radio and Western Washington University. Today's episode was recorded at the Digital Media Center at Western Washington University in Bellingham, Washington. Our producer is Regina Barber de Graff. Our audio engineers are Natalie Moore, Andrew Norden, and Tori Hiley. Production was also done by Darren Brown, Suzanne Blaze, and the DMC crew. Our theme music is Chemical Calisthenics by Blacklicious and Wonderland by Janelle Monet.